You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. And welcome back to Real Presence Live. This is Heather Caro. Thank you for joining me this fine, beautiful morning. And yes, I am not Monsignor Schumacher. I know we advertised that it was going to be him, but he had his priestly duties in a funeral this morning. So I have taken over and I get to talk with all of his great guests this morning. We uh, just got done with Bishop David Kagan out of the Diocese of Bismarck, and he gave us such a rich and full history of the Stations of the Cross. Um, and that's, I just love our Catholic faith, and to just know the rich history behind the Stations of the Cross just make going to them even more exciting and more rich. I just, I love it. So if you missed that interview that started at 9 a.m. this morning, um, you can always check out our podcasts. Our podcasts are posted later in the day, and you can just go and search out Bishop Kagan, and you'll be able to listen to a little bit of the history of the Stations of the Cross and why we're encouraged to pray them um, during Lent. And so I encourage all of you to go back and take a listen to that because it was just a very rich and powerful um testimony from Bishop Kagan on why we should pray it. I know for me personally, um, when I was, oh, I must have been a sophomore or junior in high school, we went to Steubenville of the Rockies, and they had Living Stations of the Cross. And if you've never been to a Living Stations of the Cross, I would highly recommend it. Um, But they did a Living Stations of the Cross And it was just absolutely beautiful. So if you have an opportunity to see a living stations, I would highly recommend it. Okay, enough of the Stations of the Cross for the moment. We're going to move right on. We've got Steve Ray on the line. Good morning, Steve. Good morning. Glad to be with you. I am grateful to be with you. I'm so excited to chat with you this morning about Genesis chapters 1 through 11. How are things going for you so far this Lent? (laughs) Good. We are um, looking forward to getting back in the air. We have 10 international pilgrimages for the rest of this year. So the world's opening up again and finally regaining its sanity. And uh, we're going to be, we got a sold out, we pretty much sold out trip to Italy leaving in two weeks, and then April and May sold out trips to Israel. And then we still wow. have more coming up after that. So it's good. I thought you missed it. Yeah, we have. I, I have. It's a, it's a mixed blessing because uh, yeah. we have enjoyed uh, time, more time with the family and more time sure. to relax. And my wife said it was her salvation because for 15 years we've spent more nights in hotel rooms and in our own house in our own bed so she said this was very good for her to recuperate but we're back on the road we'll start slowing down starting next year as we get older we'll start slowing down a little bit do more writing and less traveling well cool well i'm glad to hear you're traveling again so let's dive right into genesis is uh genesis a literal scientific explanation of creation in six days we're starting off with a bang we're just going right yeah, for right. it <laughs> with a big bang how about that yeah <laughs> yeah so in this whole series we're kind of moving through genesis last 
month, we did a uh, introduction to Genesis and overview. And this one is the first eleven chapters are very unique um, in Scripture because they are giving us information that we wouldn't have otherwise if it weren't for a revelation from God. So He has revealed to us something of how everything got started from nothing to everything. We say ex nihilo, which means there was nothing, and then God said and created, and there was something. And at one point, he created everything. So the beginning of the universe is written, uh, this passage of Scripture, for a non-scientific audience. In fact, I think if God were to give us, reveal the atomic formulas that that transpired in his divine mind— that created everything that we see today. Watch a hummingbird flap his wings 70 beats per mm-hmm. second. And look at trigonometry and calculus and all this. I don't know those things, but I watched a movie the other day where they were showing how what those kind of formulas are. And imagine in God's divine mind coming up with all of this and creating it all. Even if he told us the formulas scientifically, <laughs> I don't think we'd understand them. Mm -hmm. It would be way over our heads. So the beginning of Genesis is not a, the way the Church has said it, not a scientific explanation for a scientific people. They were writing for simple people who needed to understand the story of how it came into being. So in the Catechism, for example, it says God created the visible world in all its richness, diversity and order. Scripture presents the work of the Creator symbolically as a success, succession of six days of divine work. So, and I like what um, St. Augustine considers it all to be done at once. God didn't need six days to create it. He just <laughs> went, create, boom, and it was there, like we said, Big Bang, which I think is probably not a bad way to describe it. There's nothing, and all of a sudden, kaboom, it's all there in its existence. Now, science, science tells us a lot about the universe, and Scripture tells us about the universe. And what we as Christians have done, especially the Church, is try to see those two as working together. So it's not like, how do you reconcile two enemies? You don't. Both of them are God's revelation. God reveals Himself in nature. God reveals Himself in Scripture and the Church. And, and um, we have struggled in to understand how those two books, so to speak, work together. And so I would say that in answer to your question, it's not a, a literal scientific explanation of creation, six literal days, but it's a way that God has revealed it to explain to us the story of how it came mm-hmm. about and the things that we need to know in regards to that. Yeah, well, and I think as humans, we struggle so much to put God in a box, you know? And it's like, there's no way we could ever understand truly what happened, because God doesn't fit in our little minds, our little boxes that we create. So, it wasn't a literal six days. What about the Big Bang? Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, you know, it it could have been six literal days. I mean, the Church has not Mm. said it now. Sure. tends to say that it was a process, but it doesn't say that it wasn't. So that you, any believer is free to hold to any of those views. However, the, uh, when we look at science, we see there are bones of dinosaurs from a long time ago. We see light travels 
so many light years that travel. So when you're looking at a constellation up in there in space, that may what you're looking at actually happened a million years ago, and you're just seeing the light from it now. So when you mm-hmm. begin to look at the size of the universe, then you say, well, maybe this science tells us that there's a big process to all this. And the Big Bang would have been, as I understand it, and I'm not a scientist, I'm more of a biblical guy, but I'm not a scientist, but the, I understand it is that at one point, there was, as we would say as Catholics, there was nothing, and a second later there was something. God did not take matter that was already eternal and create that or shape it into something that we know as the universe. God took what was not there, totally nothing, and kaboom, then because of his word and his divine formulas and his mind, which we could never understand even if he told us that, he created what we see today. And whether it was all done at once, I, I kind of like the idea of St. Augustine considering it all to be done at once and then described as seven literal days so that we could understand it in a nice uh, story form. But sure. then even if it took time over a period of time that God used to create things, either way, he created everything from nothing. And there's what we do as Catholics, we have to believe that at a certain point he created the living soul. And that man became a living soul. The soul is not something organic to the man. It was created by God. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so let's talk about the seventh would, day. We've talked, we've talked about the six, yes, okay. six days, but what about the seventh day and God resting on the seventh day? Was that necessary? Well, if, if you if you had created all of that, wouldn't you be tired of <laughs> You need yeah. to work six days according to the story, and you said this, and it happened, and you said this, and you formed man, and you spoke the word, and everything happened, and you said it's good, and then you take the dust of the earth, and you breathe. I mean, after all of this work, and you look at the size of the universe, I think God would be exhausted, but that's not the case at all. Um, I'm just being a little facetious here. It, it, when it says that on the seventh day he rested, the Hebrew word is he ceased from his labors. In other words, God created it, and then he said, it is very good, and he ceased creating, or he ceased, and now this magnificent creation is there before him. It's not an extension of him. It is separate from him. God is separate from the universe. The universe is space and time. God is above and outside of space and time. So this creation of his, he did make it. But when we see the process of that seven days as described the creation, all that it says that he rested from his labors, it's the seventh day of rest, is really the Hebrew word that he ceased from his labors. God is, but he is still continually working, isn't he? He is even, to this moment, he's working in my life. All of us, as we are going through Lent, we say God's working in our lives. Well, so even on the seventh day, hmm. God is keeping everything in existence. I like to view it this way. When, if God stopped, hold, everything is here because he's holding it in existence because he, it, it exists because of him. It's like me looking in the mirror. As soon as I step away from the mirror, that image is gone. Hmm. If God ever just quit looking or caring or being involved, he holds it all together. These natural laws are not apart from him, in a sense. He is holding the universe together. They're all part of his plan. But for him to step away, it would all cease to exist. So even on the seventh day, he was still working. And 
Jesus even says that. Then he says, my father's always working. Even on the Sabbath day, he's working. He's so, holding everything together. So, yes, it just means the seventh day doesn't mean God got tired and he got his pillow and his bed out and he said, oh, I'm going to take a nap after all that. <laughs> no, it just means he ceased from his labors of creating and looked over and said, it is very good. Hmm, very interesting. So... Can we know anything about who God is without divine or special revelation? Yeah, that's, I think, a very interesting point, because I remember as a Baptist, we would more or less, everything you had to take by faith, and you could only understand about God by faith from the Bible. But I think the Scriptures itself gives us a very good indication uh, of that we can't. God has made us reasonable creatures in his image. In other words, you and I are both in the image and likeness of God, which means he's intelligent. He made us intelligent. We can, he loves, we can love. He communicates, we can communicate. He creates from nothing, but we can create from something. We create things. So we have our reason and our observation. Now, if God made all of this, I like what, what we've, I've heard that science is simply thinking God's thoughts after him. In other words, mm-hmm. God thought about how to make all of this. He thought it all, and he created it, and he figured it all out with the formulas and the atomic power bursts and whatever he did, and it created all of this. And now when we look at it, we can figure out. This is the basis of science, by the way. Catholicism, Christianity, is the birth of science, because what we say is God made 2 plus 2, 4, and when we as creatures look at 2 plus 2, 4, we can see something of God because he made it that way. Or if you want to know about Bach or Mozart, what do you do? You go listen to their music and see how they wrote the notes, and you can learn a lot about the composer by listening to their music, and you can learn a lot about God by looking at his creation art. In Romans 1, it says, for his invisible attributes are God's the attributes, though they are invisible, namely his eternal power, his divine nature, can be clearly perceived. Even since the creation of the world, they can be perceived in that which has been made. So that if you reject God, you're without excuse. Now, that, interestingly enough, that, that word there, in that which has been made, the things that have been made, is one Greek word, poema, where we get the word poem. So God is a poet. And if his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature, can be clearly perceived by his poem, by looking at his creation. Just like looking at Mozart, you can learn something about him by listening to his music. You can know something about God, his power, obviously, to create all of this, and his intelligence and divine nature by looking at his poema, his poem. So, this is, in Psalm 19, I, I think we have to take a break, but Psalm 19 says, Behold, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament reveals His handiwork. So, by looking at nature, we can see something and understand something of God, even apart from divine revelation of Scripture. Wow. Well, and Steve, we have about four minutes before our break, so I want, I'm just like blown away, you know, I've heard these things before, and it just always blows me away, um at the beauty of everything. So then I look at myself, and we're told we're created in God's own image. And that just blows me away. So talk about that a little bit. Why did he create us in his own image, and why did he give us the free will? I think it's because 
And I like I told my kids and grandkids this, you know why you exist, don't you? You know why all of us humans exist in the image of God is because the Trinity had so much love for each other. They had so much fun together. They were just in heaven in eternity, just laughing and enjoying each other, the personal interaction, the love that they have. It's like a family that they said one day, you know what, this is just so much fun. We should create creatures in our image so that all of this can bubble over and they can share it with us. That's the reason we exist. We didn't exist by chance. We didn't exist because God's a mean old ogre up in heaven created to people so he can pound on them and threaten them and be cruel to them. No, he created us because he loves his, the, the Trinity as a self-relationship among the three. And then he just said, bubbled over. We are the result of the bubbling over of that love. And it says it's in the catechism, not quite that way, but it says it. And so he says, let's make man in our image, male and female, because there you're going to now have another family. It's like Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You're going to have a man, a woman, and the love that they have is going to generate children, just like the love between the Father and the Son spirates the Holy Spirit. He is a, The love is so strong between the two, it becomes a person, the Holy Spirit. That's the Trinity, always eternally there with that relationship. And so he creates us, like himself, also a family, male and female, to have children, and then it's like the, it's like the divine family. And now he, we can share his creation. Why did he put Adam and Eve in the garden and say, expand the boundaries of this, multiply and fill the earth, take what I've given you this garden and keep moving the edges of the garden out until you cover the whole earth and expand it with other people because the more there are, the more fun we can have together, the more we can enjoy all of these things. And so this is, I think, why God did it. And he gave us free will because, just think, if I, I have 19 grandchildren now, and I don't want to have all my grandchildren like little robots. And my wife and I say, okay, let's go push the button. And we push the button. I love you. I love you. I love you. Push it again. I love you. I love you. This is not the response we want. I want the kids to love us because of who we are and who they are. Give them free will to love us back as a response to our love to them. And that's why God gave us free will. It means so much more. Even though he knew that it could be a disaster. But then again, he had a plan for that too, didn't he? He even took that Easter, we say, oh, happy fault of Adam. What do you mean, happy fault? How could that be happy, what Adam did? Because it earned for us so great a Redeemer. And at one time, we would have been immortal. But because of Adam's sin, God himself came down and took on human flesh. So that then when he took his human flesh back up into heaven, he still has his body in heaven, he can take us up with him into heaven, and we're now more than immortal. We actually get to share in the life of the Trinity. Wow. So beautiful. Well, folks, if you're just joining us, I'm talking with Steve Ray this morning, um, and we're diving into Genesis chapters 1 through 11. I think we've made it through two two chapters. <laughs> There's a lot there in the first 11 chapters of Genesis. Um, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue our discussion of Genesis chapters 1 through 11. You're listening to Real Presence Live. I am Heather Caro. I'm broadcasting today from Sioux Falls. We'll be back with more Real Presence Live right after this. Live, engaging, and local, this is Real Presence Live, where we bring you positive and uplifting stories and share the great things happening in our local area on the Real Presence Radio Network. Hi, this is Dr. Ryan Sappo from Lumen Vision in Fargo. 
In addition to eye exams for children and adults, LumenVision provides custom contact lens services for patients with keratoconus, severe dry eyes, and hard-to-fit prescriptions. These specialty contact lenses can be made for single vision, astigmatism, and multifocal prescriptions. For more information about Lumen Vision's contact lens services, our website is www.lumen.vision. In today's world, we are enslaved to addiction. I'm Father Chris Alar. Alcoholism, pornography, and drug abuse have become the master of millions of lives, maybe even your own. Addiction has led to countless deaths by overdose and suicide. So what can be done about it? Victims often explain they are searching to escape the troubles of this world, or they are trying to find a form of ecstasy. Unfortunately, these enslavers provide neither. The experience is only pseudo, a fleeting imitation of an authentic spiritual experience. There's only one true spiritual experience that can provide fulfillment, and when you find it, you will find hope. Please visit suicideandhope.com so I can personally pray for anyone you've lost and to get our book, After Suicide, There's Hope for Them and You, which helps with any kind of suffering or loss, not just suicide. I promise it will help. Rose Management is a family-owned business that believes in good morals, doing the right thing, and treating our residents as family. Rose Management provides housing to complexes throughout North Dakota and Minnesota. All Rose Management's properties and our maintenance staff are in a centralized location in their cities. For questions, Rose Management can be reached at 701-237-6840 or online at rosemanagement.net. Again, that number is 701-237-6840. You're listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the show. And welcome back. I am Heather Caro, and you're listening to Real Presence Live. We're broadcasting today from Sioux Falls, South Dakota, having a great conversation with Steve Ray. Uh, We are starting the book of Genesis. We have made it through chapters 1 and 2, and we're going to continue on. There are two creation accounts in Genesis 1 and 2. Why are there two? Why? (laughs) Well, because there's different authors and they were confused, and so they came up with two different views of creation, and that shows the Bible's not true. That is what a lot of people think. That is what a lot of people will say. You know, there's two different accounts. They're contradictory, and there's two different stories of creation, and this is not the case at all. The case is that there's a reason why it is told twice. The one is cosmological, the cosmos. It's the big picture. God creates the sun and the stars and all of these things, and and then he rests from his labor at the end. And it just mentions that he makes man in his image. But now, because man and woman is the pinnacle, the emphasis, of the creation. In fact, the creation was made for them. Now, after we've seen the whole big picture, we're going to get the telescope and we're going to zoom in on the Mm. pinnacle of this creation so that we can get more understanding of this creature 
called man that the rest of it was all made for. So that's why we have it. One is called the cosmological, the cosmos, the big picture, Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 2 is called the anthropological, or the study of man, where we now zoom in on that one aspect of creation. He talks to us more and explains about male and female he created them, and how he created the female from the rib of the male, and how they are complementary to each other. Not that they can decide later whether they want to switch places. Okay, I think I'm going to be the man today, and you be the woman, and give their kids choices about what they want to be when they grow up. That's no, utter nonsense compared to what we understand of the creation. So that God zooms in in chapter 2 and shows us how he made them male and female in his image. Man is not made in the image of God and not woman. It is man and woman together that in combined together is the image of God. Right, right. So then... The fall, is that like a real event? Did that really happen? Um, And then can you talk about how that affected the future generations? Yes. There was an actual fall where man who was created with the grace of God, with that divine justice that had been given to him, we call it sanctifying grace, or the grace of God's life. And then actually he gave us his own life. He put his life in us. It's not, grace is not just an attitude of divine favor that God shows us. Grace is actually a something. It is his own divine life that he put in us. And he said, mm-hmm. if you sin, you will die. And as they sinned, and Adam said, see, you didn't die. God's a liar. You didn't die. You're still here talking to me, Adam. But something did die. That life of God, that grace in their soul, that died. And then later, the body followed and died along also. Because death is a separation of body and soul. So, yes, uh, it was a real event. They, they broke faith with God. They disobeyed what God said. They were made to be immortal. But now, can you imagine, and this is the beginning of Lent, can you imagine the terrifying words that Adam heard from God, knowing he had been created in God's image to be immortal? And now he's got to go out and dig in the soil. Now, he always had to work, but now it's going to, the soil in the world's going to fight him. It's going to be hard. He's going to do it by the sweat of his brow. And can you imagine the terrifying words? Nobody's ever heard more terrifying words, that you are going to till the ground. And to this ground you shall return. From dust you were taken, and to the dust you will return. What terrifying words those must have been. That you're digging in the dirt and realizing someday you that were created to be immortal are going to go back and go back into that dust, and you're going to turn back into that dirt again. Can you imagine the terror of hearing that from God? Now then we hear another thing, though, that happened. In Genesis 3.15, God comes walking in the garden, and he finds out, you know, he already knew, he <laughs> helps them discover the fact of what they've done. And after he says what the penalties will be for the woman and for the man, he turns to Satan, and he says, I will bring enmity. That means warfare, hatred, disgust, and battle. I will bring enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, or her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now, Adam and Eve probably had no idea what that meant, but the reality was they knew it was something good. Something good was coming out of that verse. It's called the Proto-Evangelium, the first good news. It's the first gospel proclamation where the fault of Adam is now shown to be 
going to be reversed. There's going to be a redemption. And the bruising of your head means that Satan's going to have his head crushed. By who? By the heel of Jesus. And Jesus is going to have his heel bruised. By how? The crucifixion. But he's going to recover from it. But Satan will not because he'll have his head crushed. So this is already Genesis 3.15. is a picture of the of Mary who's going to have a son, the seed, who is going to bring redemption to the world. And though Satan has brought a disaster, God is going to actually turn it into something even better. Oh, happy fault of Adam, which has gained us such a great redeemer. Wow. So much. There's so much here. I'm glad that we're recording this, Steve, <laughs> so that I can play this back. <laughs> so, Can I share one fun thing? Yeah. When, when, when Adam and Eve sinned, I, I like this. This is kind of fun. People might get a kick out of this. The right away, they looked down and saw they didn't have any pants on and realized they were naked because now they had this knowledge they didn't have before, good and evil. And so right away, they ran and got some leaves to make coverings for themselves. And we said, what kind of leaves? Well, the Bible says fig leaves. Well, I can't just read one verse in the Bible. Upward. I, I got to ask questions. Why fig leaves? Why not banana leaves? Well, I went and got three books on biblical botany. And I looked up, and all of them said the same thing. You can search it on the Internet if you want. Fig leaves have a chemical in them that causes itching and rash and dermatitis. Can you imagine? They go to cover themselves with these branches, and they're pushing them against their body and making little pants kind of things. And the next thing you know, they're all covered with a burning rash. And they're scratching, and God comes walking in the, the uh, garden and says, Adam, hey, where are you? Where are the bushes? What are you doing? We're scratching. And I think that there's a lesson to be learned here, is that if we try to cover our own sins, if we think, oh, oh I've sinned, I'm gonna, and we try to fix it ourselves apart from God, it's only going to make things worse. We're going to get the rash. We're going to get, but, but what God says is, no, when you sin, come to me. I'll make you a real covering. And then there had to be a sacrifice. An animal had to die. An innocent animal had to die to make a covering for man and woman. And Jesus had to die as a sacrifice to become our covering, to deal with sin. So the object lesson is, is that when you have sin, don't try to cover it yourself. It only makes it worse. Come to God and let him take care of it. Wow. All from a fig leaf. Oh, my goodness. Yes. When you read the Bible, you got to stop and ask questions. See, that's how you study right. the Bible. Ask as many stupid questions as you can, and pretty soon you'll find yourself deep in Scripture. Yeah. Wow. Beautiful. Well, if you're just tuning in, we're talking with Steve Ray, and we're talking about uh, Genesis 1 through 11, and we're not going to make it through 11, Steve. I can just tell you that now. <laughs> uh, I think you're right. <laughs> So let's talk about the begets, a genealogy, or chrono- chronology. Sorry, yes, I'm just I, I, that. The question is, is, a lot of folks will go and they'll say, so-and-so begets, so-and-so, and so-and-so begets, so-and-so, and there are so many right. years, and they go back and they calculate it, and they say, that means the world was started on April oh, yeah. 15th of the year 4000 B.C., or, and so the worth is 6,000 years old because you followed. Right. But these are not strict genealogies. They are genealogies, but they're not a chronology. In other words, you can't go back and count all those days. There are, not, there are people not listed in there. You can show that from other genealogies in the Bible, that it's not meant to be uh, an idea that you can trace it back. Genesis 1 through 11 is not really datable. We don't know when these things happen. It's when Abraham comes in chapter 12 that what we call 
real history or modern history begins where there's actually a date to that, where you can't go, necessarily go back and have a date for the flood. Now, I know there's a bunch of Baptists and others who believe in six literal days and that you can actually go back and say the world began on April something of 4,000 B.C., but I, I don't believe that, and the Catholic Church doesn't uh, teach that way either. So, but that's how that happens. And then we come to the story of Noah, and the Jews consider him the second Adam, because God is starting over again, and he has to wipe out the earth because of life on the earth because of the great wickedness of sin, and he has one man, and when that one man comes off the ark later, and by the way, that ark is a picture of water baptism, that we went through water, and above it is the Holy Spirit dove, the white dove flying over the ark, so you have water and spirit. And First Peter chapter three twenty one says, just like Noah and his family were saved through the water, baptism now saves you. A verse I didn't know was in the Bible when I was a Baptist, by the way. And so now Noah, he gets off the ark, and what does God say? Go out and multiply and subdue the earth. The same thing he had told to Adam and Eve. So he's now starting with a new Adam, so to speak, a new beginning of the human race. And of course, things didn't get any better because right away Noah gets drunk and has all this this great drama with his family and then there becomes murders and all kinds of other sins and the Tower of Babel where they're trying to reach and become like God and brings us up to the point in the end obviously that we come to chapter 11 where all of a sudden we meet a man named Abram who is from Iraq of today And, and if you want to see that my wife and I made a movie called Abraham Father, Faith, and Works, and we began the movie in Iraq. So you can see where Abraham came from and where all of this took place, because the whole beginning of the Bible took place over in the Iraq area. It didn't happen in Israel. It happened over in Iraq with the Tigers and Euphrates River. Even the Garden of Eden, it says, was at the Tigers and Euphrates River. So the whole first, the first 11 chapters here all took place over in Iraq area of today. And Mesopotamia, which means between the rivers, between the Tigris and Euphrates River. So this is what happened, and now God meets Abram, which is where we'll pick up next month and talk about how he finally finds a man that he can start over with and build a covenant which will last all the way to the end. Wow. Awesome. Steve, thank you so much for joining us today, and folks, be sure to tune in next month when he is on again talking about the next segment of Genesis. Folks, we have to take a quick break. When we come back, more Real Presence Live. Stay with us. (music) 